Welcome back to Bitcoin Builders. Today, I am joined by Jesse Schrader. Jesse is the co-founder of Amboss, who just today have put out a new feature for automating Lightning liquidity. We're going to talk a lot more about what that means and why it's important, and I know that this is going to be a conversation you will enjoy. Bitcoin Builders is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated entirely to Bitcoin and Lightning. Check them out at wolfnyc.com. It's Thursday, September 14th. This is Bitcoin Builders. Let's go. All right, Jesse, welcome to Bitcoin Builders. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Nathaniel. It's an exciting time. It's a great day, I think, to be talking to you guys and also kind of talking about the broader issues in Lightning and what people are building around them. So excited to have you here. Let's start out by just talking a little bit about Amboss and what you guys do and kind of when and where it started. Amboss started back in 2021. I think uh, Tony and I, who started Thunderhub, which is like an open source node manager, got in contact in 2020 and decided to team up to create a data analytics and insights tool for the Lightning Network. We noticed a lot of people early on were struggling to figure out how to run a Lightning node to receive payments and send payments on this second layer for Bitcoin. And so it started as an analytics platform. Let's talk about kind of what that actually looked like in practice first and sort of the path that that started to lead you down. Yeah. So when people join the Lightning Network, generally the first questions that they ask is like, who do I connect to and how should I set my fees? So these were two major problems. And these are problems that are inherent to decentralized networks. Like it's a discovery tool. So the first product out the door was really a Lightning Network Explorer where I could look up any node on the Lightning Network. And so Amboss like keeps track of this special information that nodes gossip about each other to let others know about their existence. So it makes it very easy to connect to other nodes or other people on the network and decide, do I want to take some of my Bitcoin and create a new payment rail so that I can pay that destination? And so this, I think, probably led you guys pretty naturally to the next product, or what, it, what seems like the next product, which was Magma. I think it was 2022 that that started. Let's talk about what Magma is and, and kind of how it evolved the product. Yeah. So in order to receive payments, you actually need the network to change. So for example, if I handed you a credit card right now, like, would you be able to accept it? And probably the answer is no, because you're not connected to the Visa network. So the same thing happens for Lightning. You actually need the network to connect to you. So in order to connect the people that need liquidity or need to be able to receive payments with the rest of the network, we created a marketplace that allows people to buy and sell Lightning channels. So we had to figure out what is the market pricing for liquidity? What does it take to motivate someone to take their Bitcoin out of cold storage and say, hey, I'm going to create a payment channel through which payments can flow nearly instantaneously to the destination that you've set up as a business. So Magma is, it matches up both buyers and sellers of Lightning Channels. So on the buy side, these are the businesses. And on the sell side, those are people that hold Bitcoin and want to earn yield non-custodially 
with their Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. Let's dig in deeper to the actual market mechanisms of this marketplace. Because I, I imagine that people sort of, when you when you first explain this to them, they're going to bring their proxies or their comparables from other markets, whether it's outside of crypto or whether it's inside crypto, you know, DEXs, what, what have you. How does Magma actually work from kind of a, a market functioning perspective? And where does that rate come in that you were just discussing in terms of figuring out what the price was to get people to actually provide this liquidity? Yeah. So people that have Bitcoin and are willing to put it on the Lightning Network, they set a price for what it will cost for them to open a certain size channel. And we've got a, like, a lot of levers that you can pull on what size channels you're willing to open, how long of a duration you want. And that kind of sets the price for it. Now, other folks will see the marketplace and see all these different nodes that they could connect to. And because we have the Lightning Network Explorer as well, you can kind of review and see the history of these nodes and make a determination whether this is a reliable peer to connect to or not. And then you make the decision, oh, I want to buy a channel from this node. Now, the next step is exchanging invoices back and forth. And then the, the provider of liquidity is going to be opening a channel. And once we, as Amboss, actually see that this channel has been created, then the, the payment actually goes through. So how has adoption been? I think that the concept makes a ton of sense. You launched it in 2022. What was uptake like and where do things stand today? Yeah, this was actually the second of its kind like marketplace for liquidity. Initially, there was a Lightning Labs pool product, which is a great auction setup. But this is where you can actually go through and see the different providers and make assessments on whether that's actually valuable to you. Since we launched in April of last year, people have been consistently using this marketplace. And like to date, we kind of took over from Lightning Labs Pool. And so now this marketplace represents about 77% market share of the liquidity allocated. Now that said, the market overall is tiny for actually buying and selling liquidity on the Lightning Network. So because of that, like market share probably doesn't matter so much. And you have to think more long-term, does this fulfill a business need to receive payments at low cost. What is your sense of that now, you know, a year and a half into the project? What has been validated or challenged around sort of assumptions that you had going into that? One thing is like the supply side, the people with Bitcoin and they want to earn yield, like that isn't really a restriction for the marketplace. The actual restriction is, is there real commerce going on? So we had some learning to do that actually using even our very simple web page interface to manage a lightning node is just too large of a lift for most businesses. Because as a business owner and as an entrepreneur, as I'm learning, your time is precious. And it's really important for you to be focusing on your business instead of troubleshooting your lightning node and managing lightning channels. Basically, I, I want to sum this up because I think it's a, a really important sort of pivot point as we talk about the next phase of the project. You found that, as you would expect, humans like being paid and putting their assets to work. So there wasn't necessarily a big challenge on the supply side of Bitcoin. Maybe, you know, benefits to be had in terms of how it was organized and opportunities there. But the real challenge was in terms of 
who was kind of demanding and needing this. And the barrier, it seemed to you, was largely about sort of the difficulty of actually managing a lightning node as, as it currently stands. Is that an accurate kind of sum up? Yeah. So like one thing to keep in mind is like yields are relatively low. So like looking at yields right now, I'm going to pull the the liner index. That's about like 1.6% APY that people are earning without giving up custody. With that, now the volume is so small. So there's not enough volume to really support like these enterprise level managers of funds to actually have it all make sense. That in addition to, there's a lot of technical complexity, there's a steep learning curve, and uh, people don't, it's not really worth their time to be managing uh, Lightning Channels, managing their Lightning node. It's interesting. We were talking about this a little bit before the show, but there's been some chatter recently on Twitter or X or whatever about this exact challenge. A Lightning developer recently was tweeting about how they had gone to a restaurant that accepts Bitcoin. They tried to pay. But it was a whole process, and the owner didn't understand why they needed to open a new channel and what it meant. And basically, the sort of conclusion was that having the barrier not only of accepting Bitcoin and making that decision, but then to have to sort of learn this whole new set of tooling and infrastructure to do it, it was just too much to ask, basically. And it sounds like that's sort of what you guys found as well as, as you dug into this particular problem. Yeah, business owners need to be focusing on running their business, not managing their payment system. Which is obviously the lesson from regular payment systems as well. The whole promise, like every time you see a new POS or whatever kind of, you know, pitch businesses, it's almost entirely about simplicity, how much less time they have to spend, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. And even with that, there's sort of barriers to entry for switching costs for people to change. So this, I think, gets us to the next phase of this, which was just announced today. Tell us a little bit about Hydro, what it does, what it is, and and sort of, you know, how long you guys have been working on this. Yeah, so... The initial idea, I think, really happened maybe about four months ago. And then we started building this about a month and a half ago. And we've just been heads down building. But what Hydro does is it creates a first-of-its-kind subscription service that automates liquidity for the Lightning Network. Anyone with a node can log onto our website, use a digital signature to log in, and then be able to say, I want my node to be a four, five Bitcoin capacity node. And we'll take that information, allow them a chance to prepay, and then we'll go out to the market and find the lowest cost liquidity that will actually fulfill that need as long as it meets our quality criteria. So maybe let's put this into, you know, obviously it just launched today, so you probably don't have examples of how people are using it yet. But Give us some of the theoretical examples, like how you imagine a business using this in practice. One of the key examples, and actually the largest buyer on Magma currently, is a wallet operator called Bitcoin Jungle. And that's in Costa Rica. It's also the, the place where Nostra Rica you know, happened, the, the first conference for Noster. And what I've learned from Lee, who runs Bitcoin Jungle, is he's got more merchants that are being onboarded to his wallet, which is a, a fork of Galois Bitcoin Beach wallet. Like with that, he's onboarding more and more merchants, but needs to continuously buy liquidity from our marketplace so that whenever there's either an influx of merchants that want to use this wallet 
or there's a whole bunch of visitors from out of the country that want to go experience a lightning circular economy. So this change in like population dynamics and merchant entrance to the to the network requires that Lee, who runs Bitcoin Jungle, go out to the market and buy liquidity so that people can enjoy a seamless payment experience when they use the Lightning Network. Just to get super granular, how does the world look different for him between sort of the scenario before how he would do it and under what circumstances he would go try to find this liquidity versus now with, you know, being a Hydro subscriber, if that's the term you guys are using? Yeah, so now that Hydro exists, we'll be able to set an inbound liquidity target for the node. So Lee will just be able to log on and say, I need to make sure that I'll be able to receive $10,000 at any one point. So say, for example, they're selling hotel reservations or airline tickets. Those are things that mean that you need to have a whole bunch of inbound liquidity to be able to receive those payments. So it's going to be a simple operation that every week, maybe it'll check to make sure that there is $10,000 worth of liquidity. And Lee can focus on onboarding merchants and making sure that they have a good experience while Hydro is going out to the market, sourcing liquidity from different sources like around the globe and actually be able to make sure that the liquidity infrastructure behind the Lightning Network is actually working really well for his wallet. So it seems like there are two really important pieces of this. One is automation. It sounds like the goal of Hydro is is effectively just sort of taking what the entrepreneur or business owner or node operator would have had to do on Magma and doing it for them. And then the second piece, it feels like, is around preserving the decentralization that underlies the marketplace, right? Because presumably, you could have a centralized provider who just had all this liquidity, who sold it off or, or you know, whatever. But but this is sort of keeps the the core kind of model of this distributed decentralized network of liquidity providers intact while still providing the automation or simplicity of what a more centralized model might look like. Is that an accurate way to look at it? Exactly. So we've seen a whole bunch of what we call LSPs, these lightning service providers spin up. And these are groups that have a lot of Bitcoin and they want to put it on the lightning network. However, each of these LSPs are spinning up their own website to sell channels to the network, or they're selling it to their, their own customers within their own wallet. However, as the customer of that, you're not getting a good sense of what is the market pricing for liquidity? Is this a good deal or isn't it? And so Magma and Hydro gives us an opportunity to actually compare those offers and make smarter decisions about what liquidity to buy and from where. It seems also sort of to be obviously in line, you know, one of the things that people will often point out as either a critique, depending on who it is, or just a concern with Lightning is the portion of it that is held custodially, you know, the portion of Lightning wallets that people use that are custodial versus non-custodial. And there's sort of this larger question of, can the infrastructure actually support the decentralized kind of goal underneath? without making too many compromises in terms of user experience. It feels like that's one of the sort of big questions that remains for Lightning in general. Yeah, a decentralization and self-sovereignty is a, is a huge goal. So, so making sure that people are actually running their own node and then still be, 
being able to have like an enterprise level experience of you know sourcing liquidity and, and having really high payment performance. That's critical. And what we've seen is the user experience is necessary to move from the custodial solution to the non-custodial solution. So our main focus has been on improving the u- user experience to really make this smooth transition from custodial to non-custodial. Can you talk a little bit more about the sort of AMBUX and how this works in this ecosystem? Yeah. So diving into deep detail about Magma, the initial iteration means that the person who's selling liquidity is going to generate an invoice. We're going to wrap that invoice into another linked invoice that uses the same payment hash. So that same payment hash means that we won't be able to actually receive the payment without the seller of liquidity getting paid. So this process means that every single time we're making an order of a channel, that means that the buyer side needs to pay. So that's just too many user touches. So the AMBUX is really a very simple way for us to take prepaid credits and still provision this liquidity with minimal user interaction. Looking back, I wouldn't have released AMBUX by itself because it just looks like we're launching a token when in reality, it's simply a a prepaid credit. Yeah, I was, was going to joke, if, if you're looking forward to the million questions about whether it's a token or not, which it, it quite clearly is not. But no, it makes sense. I, th- I think that's sort of like, it sounds like it is a consequence. It's a, it's a way to solve a particular problem of the system in the, in the simplest, cleanest way possible. Who do you think might be sort of like the first customer set for this product? And do you view this as something that will tip some number or percentage of businesses over into kind of, you know, accepting Lightning as feasible? Or is it more like this is just the type of infrastructure that needs to exist to even begin that conversation with a lot of merchants and businesses? And I guess the difference being how much is there kind of an existing pool of almost demand that you guys see versus it's so early that we just need to get it to the point where we can even have the conversation with different parties about how they might sort of accept Bitcoin via Lightning? So first customers, and this is imaginary since the product hasn't been released quite yet, and we'll see how what uptake it has. But thinking about things a bit, the buyers that are a bit panicked has been like folks that are running an event, a Bitcoin-focused event, and they want all of the merchants to be able to receive Lightning payments. So at that point, they panic and they go through to Magma and they buy every single order available. But now with this product, you know, we'll be able to source that liquidity for them and they don't need to have even a Lightning Network expert on staff in order to make these events happen. Moving from that, I'd really like to see the coffee shops, the bars be able to accept Lightning payments and not have to think about managing their own Lightning node. This couples really well with something like BTC Pay Server, where you have like a fully self-sovereign setup and is able to support the Lightning Network operators. The other piece, so this is the first domino to really drive the demand side for liquidity. But on the sell side, looking back a bit, I wrote an opinion piece about, forget about the Bitcoin ETF, let's start a Lightning Fund. Because... 
like what this sets up is that the people that are holding Bitcoin, these large institutional holders, can actually offset some of their admin fees if they're deploying funds on the Lightning Network and fulfilling some of the some of these demands from from Magma or from Hydro. So this sets up an alignment between actual institutional holders of Bitcoin and getting retail businesses to start accepting Lightning payments. Super interesting. So this marriage of things really puts uh, things in perspective. It sounds like sort of step one or, or the immediate thing is this handful of use cases and contexts that already exist in terms of the events, the inside the ecosystem type things that, that need this, plus the early adopter cafes, bars, et cetera, right? That's sort of the, the small but growing ecosystem of people who have taken this on. This greatly simplifies things for them. But then there's this opportunity that you guys are seeing as the institutionalization, you know, and as these institutions come in of creating sort of a, a mechanism where almost they're incentivized to evangelize this coming to other businesses because they want that yield. Exactly. An additional thing that we've seen is that exchanges, when they launch Lightning integration, they want to be able to pay their customers. So that involves them making payments through the Lightning Network to whatever destination they may have. However, their customers at the exchange may not have their liquidity situation all figured out, and that usually results in customer support tickets for them. Maybe just sort of jumping from the specifics of you guys to kind of a broader question, because this is one that I had wanted to ask you about. You know, this week, the other big lightning news was that Coinbase made it official that they're going to start supporting the lightning network. How big a deal do you think that is? And what do you see as potential issues for them as they go about that integration? Yeah, and this is a trend that we're seeing. I mean, we already watched Binance launch into the Lightning Network, and now we're seeing Coinbase join. Overall, I think it's it's a huge win for the for the overall Lightning Network ecosystem. I think they'll enjoy a lot of the features or be better prepared when the Lightning Network becomes more complex with uh, something like Taproot Assets, which allows other assets to be exchanged or sent over the Lightning Network while still using Bitcoin Rails. One of the complexities that they'll experience may be pathfinding. How do you make a payment to a certain destination somewhere else on the network? This will be a big challenge for them as the Lightning Network becomes more complex. So right now we've got, say, 18,000 nodes on the Lightning Network. But that number is growing. And also the, the channels in between these nodes are growing as well. So right now there's 80,000 channels between these nodes. So just like any navigation problem, how are you going to get from point A to point B when you have so many options? So this is where AMBOSS may be able to help support and provide a lot of the data that can actually help navigate this Lightning Network knowing a lot more about the state of the Lightning Network. Besides sort of this, you know, the Coinbase news, which is big news, what do you think are some of the biggest issues in and around Lightning that you guys are watching right now, whether you're addressing them or not? Some issues are really around user experience. And so we've got a lot of work to do on that front to improve things, just how the network operates as a whole. And of course, there's protocol upgrades, and we're kind of deal takers when it comes to the protocol. We just assume that the Bitcoin protocol like, will not change, 
and Lightning developers will figure out their protocol pieces, but then there's all of the business cases on top of the Lightning network. And so that's where we really focus. For the people that want to use the Lightning network, what I hear is one, it's too complicated, of course. And then the other piece is how do I take this Bitcoin and get dollars out of it? So that is a, a real demand that people want uh, stable coins or they want some fiat off ramp using the Lightning Network. And that part needs to be really smooth just to get them comfortable using this new payment method. Well, I am super excited that you guys have decided to take on some of these issues and are thinking about them. So thank you so much for spending some time with us here today and uh, congrats on the release of Hydro. All right, back to NLW here for just the quickest of wrap-ups. One of the things that I was thinking about a lot as I was talking to Jesse and reading about Amboss and just digging in is that question that I sort of tried to ask about to what extent we're looking at a scenario where there are some number of companies that are hovering on the edge of getting involved with Bitcoin or Lightning, but just aren't yet because of some barrier, such as usability or liquidity, the type of barriers that Amboss and Hydro and Magma are trying to solve. Versus, we're at a time in the evolution of the market where the infrastructure in general is still so nascent that it's not credible or not really worth considering from most businesses' eyes. I thought Jesse's answer, that they're thinking about the opportunities for Hydro in these two very distinct ways. First, the early adopters that are already here, improving the experience for them. But then secondly, aligning with this institutional trend and actually creating a flywheel where the big institutions that hold tons of Bitcoin have an incentive to want it to work for them, to become a productive asset, in other words, for them, who might then go evangelize it to other people who might open Lightning nodes, who might begin accepting Bitcoin via Lightning. I think that's a really interesting and accurate reflection of where we are. And I think that it provides an interesting and different angle by which to understand the potential relevance of those big institutions. The financial incentive of earning yield on one's Bitcoin, on top of just the fees for managing or holding or custodying it, definitely to me plausibly create a scenario whereby those big companies would want to get other companies to accept Bitcoin. Anyways, I think it's a really exciting time for companies to be at this intersection. There has obviously been a ton of development, a ton of work to get us where we are, but it still feels very much like we are just at the beginning of a very exciting and much bigger period in Bitcoin and Lightning's history. Anyways, friends, that is going to do it for today's show. Thanks one more time to Jesse for joining us. Thanks, of course, to my sponsor, In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the only startup accelerator you need to be thinking about if you are building a Bitcoin or Lightning or Ordinal startup. Go check them out at wolfnyc.com. Tell them we sent you. And until next time, let's build. <laughs>